Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. This morning, we have read from a book that you might be familiar with or you might not. More people nowadays seem to be familiar with the book of Psalms rather than the book of Proverbs. And when I was having our Zoom meeting with the youth this past week, I asked them if they were familiar with the book of Proverbs. And they, they knew that it existed, but they hadn't read it in depth. And so one of the things I said is, if you had a bunch of fortune cookies from the ancient Israelites and pieced them together, you would have a significant portion of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, which was a bunch of proverbial sayings, small snippets of wisdom that were gained from experience and the wisdom of having lived and were sought to be passed on to the next generation so that they wouldn't make the errors of the generations past and so that they might have a leg up on starting their life on the right track. But I also read for you today a part of Proverbs that is not like the other pieces. It recounts the personification of wisdom. And this is something that we are aware of in our culture here in the United States of America. Even if we are not able to cognitively recall it on command, we have a personification of liberty and the Statue of Liberty that looks like a woman shining light and showing this openness and freedom. We have a personification of justice, again, another female with a blindfold on holding the scales. So we are used to seeing personifications, but here in wisdom, we hear about a personification. And that's important because today we are going to explore the last of the origin story theories. We've explored creationism, not just young earth creationism that we encounter in the discourse of politics, but the idea that many religions and many cultures can have a conversation around their understanding of how they came into existence Usually creation narratives, stories that are recounted by the creating of the world by a god or a pantheon of gods. And of course, this extends far beyond Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, as there are a multitude of world religions and historical cultures that had a story from which we have commonalities and drastic divergences. And then we explored the umbrella term of evolution, the idea that life has been making changes, that those of us that are here now have experienced a change and a transformation, a transition from our ancestors. The idea that we are continually striving to get better as creation and creators. And then we explored a, a subset, a type of evolution, which is Darwinism, a very specific theory of evolution and how that has often been in opposition to young earth creationism. But there are many Christians, not only in United Methodism and Protestantism, but across the globe, that have their own experience. And sometimes it's a synchronized understanding between these different pieces. But today we're going to explore one that is relatively new. 
And by that, I mean that it's actually younger than I am. It was created in the 1980s, and since I'm getting ready to turn 40 in September, it is younger than me. Take that for what you will. Uh, but it is a newer concept that you might not have experienced in your schooling. It was certainly a part of the conversations that I was having, but I also went to college several years after I graduated from high school. And it is certainly a conversation that we had at the seminary level in the United Methodist Church because it is something that was emerging in the past few decades as a response to the understanding of the discourse that was happening here in the United States. Oftentimes it seemed like it was a dichotomy about creation that consisted solely of you either believe the earth was 6,000 years old and it was created exactly as it said in the book of Genesis, or you believed in an atheistic version of Darwinism. But in the reality, there are many more understandings and there were probably more than the four that we will cover in this worship series. But what was really interesting about intelligent design is that it reflects the pursuit of wisdom. It reflects that its founder or creator or forebearer yearned to find a better way of communicating how we might have been created both we as humankind, as living creatures on this planet, and how this planet itself might have emerged. And so it's important to understand who that person is. That person is Philip Johnson. And even though he passed from this world in 2019, he was an incredibly well-educated and thoughtful person. He received a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from Harvard University. He then went on to complete his law degree at the University of Chicago, and he served as a law clerk for two Supreme Court Chief Justices, Warren and Traynor. And then, for over 30 years, he was a professor of law at the University of California, Berkeley. Incredibly well-read, incredibly articulate and experienced in the concept of arguing a position or finding fallacies in a position. And so as he was confronting these concepts of creationism, radical young earth creationism, and Darwinism, he found that neither one truly resonated nor addressed some things that we have discovered as we continue to cultivate knowledge in the field of science. And part of that is that he recognized that there is something called irreducible complexity, that even when we get down to single-celled animals, that what we find is that under microscopes, they are astoundingly complex. There are invisible force, forces that we know are at work within them and upon them, from gravity to nuclear forces, magnetism. There are things that are happening within even the most simplistic life that are astounding the closer we get to them. We also recognize that the more advanced life forms, as they're referred to, and especially in human beings, have complicated systems, multiple systems that must be functioning in order for us to live, much less thrive. So we discover that the more we learn about life in this world, the more we study biology and organic chemistry, the more we start to look at how incredible it is that we are even here, we discover that perhaps it's not all happenstance. Perhaps it wasn't a series of completely unguided forces or a random union of chemical compounds, but instead there seems to be great intelligence and wisdom behind creation. 
And so Philip Johnson started to explore this, and that's where he got into irreducible complexity, that we are very complex. I grew up the daughter of a registered nurse who was actively working in the ER and the OR growing up, so the emergency room and the operating room. And one of the things that she had in our house was this entire series of books on the human body. And these books meant that for every system in the body, our digestive system, our renal system, our respiratory system, our circulatory system, there was another volume. And the, these books were actually larger than the entire series I have in my office here on the works of Wesley, who was a prolific writer. And what we discover is that in each one of those books, as I would flip through them, not only did it have to explain how these complicated systems work in our body simultaneously, and some of them without us ever thinking about them, but then there was an entire section on all the minute things that could go wrong and the catastrophic consequences of the failure of just one piece of any system. And all of us within the church who have experienced something going wrong in one of the systems of our body know that it can be truly that chaotic and catastrophic. And it will have ripple effects throughout other systems of our body. I have had so many church members over my time in ministry struggle between finding balance between treating one thing and causing harm to another. For instance, when you treat the heart, you can place great strain on your kidneys. And so we are constantly trying to balance those things and make sure that healing is truly a progression to wholeness. We struggle with this as human beings because there are so many different systems at play at all times, just in our bodies alone. This was never more clear for me than when I was completing my clinical pastoral education, which is a chaplaincy rotation that's required for ordination in the United Methodist Church here in the Virginia Annual Conference. I did six months as a chaplain in a level one trauma hospital, Norfolk General, and there I experienced firsthand just what that looks like, the complication of our bodies. One of my friends was a chaplain in residence, and so as she was completing her year-long residency there at the hospital, she said to me one day, we have two traumas coming in, and I'm going to go with one family, and I would like for you to come down and be with the other family. Absolutely, we are in ministry together. And so I went down with her, and as the teams assembled to receive these two persons that were coming in as traumas, it was incredible the sheer number of people that had to gather to receive this person and triage what was wrong because there was a person for every one of those books in my mother's library. Every volume had a specialist, a physician or a nurse that was there with that experience and wisdom and knowledge in order to triage and understand and identify are they needed or not so that we could one by one start to send people away and have just those that needed to be there, focused and working to bring about healing. So about 20 people would assemble for one trauma. And as you watch them go over all the different systems and check the vitals and figure out what was working and what was being impacted by whatever trauma this person had suffered, you were just amazed at how many brilliant minds it took to change the future of this person's healing whether or not they would survive. That was a real close encounter with the complexity of the human body for me. And as I stood there, kind of the embodiment of that little aspect we call spirituality, I was astounded by how much even those specialists had to work together to figure out, well, this isn't 
harmed right now, but if you start doing this, you're going you're gonna to need to talk to me. That's the reality of being a human being, that we are multiple layers of complicated, irreducible complexity. The other thing that Philip Johnson understood was that there's, about, there's a specified complexity in life here on the world. So what does that mean? If you have a single letter from our alphabet, it's specific, but it's not very complex. Then if you were to string together about 30 different letters in random order, well, that's very complex, but it's not very specific. It's not going to communicate something that we will find to be very enlightening. And then there's something called a Shakespearean sonnet. If you take any one of Shakespeare's sonnets, you will find that it is both very specific and very complex, using, again, specific letters in a very complex manner in order to convey meaning, culture, in order to communicate a specific form, a very complex form, in certain instances. I learned this when I was a student of non-Christian religion at the College of William and Mary. I had maxed out my credits in religious studies, and I had to venture forth from the Wren building into some other world. And I decided, incredibly, that it would be a perfect time to explore the English department, and I took a four-credit course in Shakespearean sonnets. Not the most intelligent decision I ever made. I learned a lot about Shakespearean sonnets. For instance, I now no longer write them. Instead, I focus on what I love. But I amassed this incredible appreciation for the art of the English language and how you can take something as rudimentary as a letter and create words and create sentences and create poetry that not only spoke to massive amounts of people in Shakespeare's day, but continue to impact us today. That's something that we see reflected here in nature, that there is an incredible specificity and complexity in all life here. The last thing that he really identified for us is that we live in a finely tuned world. And as we continue to have discussions in the world about ecology and environmental impact, this is something that we've heard about, that we discuss, that we research. And we become proponents for caring for this world, just as it says in the book of Genesis, that we are here to have dominion in order to be good stewards. Because throwing off anything that is in perfect balance right now creates anarchy and chaos in the environment. Not only in our bodies do we have to have a certain range of hydration and pH balance, but our world is the same. If we throw off the composition of atmospheric gases or we lose the proper amount of water and oxygen, life will cease. And so we have experienced that there is so much life, such an abundance here on our planet, and yet when we move out into our solar system, it is so hard to find life in the same abundance that we have here, much less the diversity and multiplicity. And so we realize that there is something truly special about our planet that allows for us to have life and have it abundantly. All of these things were readily identifiable and experienced by Philip Johnson and a great many of us. And he looked at that and said, there is something behind all of this. And today in the book of Proverbs, it reveals to us something that young earth creationists don't acknowledge, another narrative about creation. And that is that creation isn't relegated to the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, the first book in the anthology we lovingly call the Bible. But instead, that there is another narrative here. Here we find the witness of wisdom, 
a personified voice in female form saying, I was there. That everything, from even before the foundation of the earth to the first soil, the first mountains, or when God placed limits on the seas, that I was created in order to facilitate all creation. And for me and for many Christians, this deeply resonates. There seems to be a wisdom that our minds cannot even fathom behind how perfectly interconnected and balanced life on this planet is. That everything, all the species have a role to play and that we are part of that. And so when we who love creation look out and marvel at how perfectly specific species interact with their surroundings and their environment or how we can take our rightful place in this world from a natural point of view, we are astounded to discover that Yes, here in Proverbs and in Job, that was part of our gathering liturgy, we find God repeatedly saying, do you know how I did this? That there was great intelligence and divine wisdom, the application of knowledge to the creation of the world and to the creation of the species. God didn't create life in whatever mechanism only to have it be destructive upon each other but instead created it, marked it as good, and encouraged us to continue our rightful journey forward together in the flora and the fauna and in humankind. And this resonated deeply with Philip Johnson, the creator of intelligent design. What also resonated with him is that he himself had been on a journey. He grew up around the church. He grew up with a, a mother who was a Christian, and she would take him and his siblings to church and place them in Sunday school, which was the habit in his day, because in his words, she felt that that was the best place for them, that they would at least get a spiritual education. But it didn't resonate with him. He didn't truly claim that faith as his own. And so he said he felt more agnostic especially growing up with a mother who went to church and on Sundays she would drop his father off at the golf course. And then once Philip became old enough to rebel against going to church, he would join his father at the golf course. Growing up agnostic, yearning but not quite finding a connection with God or a God, a religion, a faith. But what changed for him was when he was 38. He discovered again the message of Christianity. And there he calls himself born again that he became a Christian, and that it was that relationship with God that enabled him to become a survivor. He survived a divorce, strokes, embattlements, and threats to his livelihood, as well as his mortality. And in that relationship, he discovered how important it was to find a place where people can speak and engage in relationship, which is truly the greatest gift in intelligent design is that it enables people from many different backgrounds and beliefs to gather together and talk about something that they might be passionate about, that impacts them, and has real-world consequences. How we understand the world is very important because it changes how we interact with it and with one another. The interesting thing about intelligent design is that it does not name the designer. While most young Earth creationists ascribe to not only the authority of the Bible, that you must buy into the literalism of the Bible, but it also says that it must be our God, generally the Christian God or the Christian understanding of God in those scriptures, which can even alienate our Judaic and Muslim siblings in faith. 
But here in intelligent design, there is room at the table not only for Jews and Christians and Muslims and others of religious faiths from around the world, but there's also a place for atheists. There are those who ascribe to intelligent design that don't believe that a deity created it, but that instead, that perhaps life here is the result of colonization from outside of our planet. People especially who believe that perhaps aliens placed us here, which is an entirely different sermon series from the one that we're engaged in currently. But the most important thing about intelligent design is that it gives us a way to find another narrative. It allows those of us who are not young earth creationalists and not Darwinists to have a place where we can ponder and consider. We can use all the wisdom. For I would posit that there's yet another story about creation, and that is the opening of the gospel account of John that says that God the Father created in the beginning with God the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through him all things came into being. It's incredible to see that even the story of creation unfolds over time in the Bible. It's not all in Genesis. It's not all illuminated by Proverbs. But even by the time we get to the New Testament and the Gospel accounts, we find once more that there is new information, new wisdom being imparted into those of us who search the Scriptures. That's a glorious encounter with what God is showing us, that all of the wisdom is not within the covers of the book, but instead that it is continually imparted through a relationship, through hearing and receiving God, whether it's from God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, that we are continually being given the opportunity to garner new knowledge and apply divine wisdom. That's a beautiful aspect of this conversation. But wherever you stand on origin stories or how you understand the creation of this world and ourselves, to me the most important thing and something I deeply appreciate about United Methodism is that it's not about the origin as much as it is about here and the ending. That what really we focus upon is that no matter where we began, whether we come from a marriage of holy matrimony and a perfectly in love, family, thriving, and normal, or whether our beginning is less poetic. Here and now and every day before, God has been with us and for us. This same God has chosen us, even if no one else would. And where others might call us a mistake or a wandering from the right path, God claims us and allows us to feel redemption and reclamation a restoration to the image that God seeks for every person, and that is unparalleled grace and eternal love. And that leads us to the end of the story. The end of the story in the scriptures is that God claims us all, that that was why God came to us, God the Son in Jesus Christ, that all people might experience that same redemption upon the cross that every single person is offered love that is unparalleled and all-encompassing to help us to cultivate a relationship with the God that creates us, redeems us, and seeks to sustain us every single day. The ending of the story is the most compelling, and that is the depiction that in the kingdom to come, there we will be with our God for all time, at a table 
with a place for every single person. For all are valued, all are beloved, of sacred worth, and at home with their divine parent. And there, in the presence of the risen and triumphant Christ, we discover that we have always been loved, even when we felt unlovable to ourselves and we heard it from other people. We recognize that there and the ending of that story is not just happiness, but celebration and joy. That all who gather there will never again experience starvation and want. They will never again feel that they have been cast aside or rejected, unloved and unappreciated. And that is the ending that God has literally moved heaven and earth to bring to every single person. That's the story that Christianity should be telling. That's the yearning behind the proclamation of the gospel. That every sermon, all the preaching, every Sunday school class, all the teaching, all the acts of ministry and mission are really about sharing the good news of the happiest ending of all time. And if we are unwilling to recognize the ending, then it doesn't matter the beginning. And if we are unwilling to recognize how important right now is, this chapter of this day, then we won't be able to communicate the ending. And this ending isn't just for us or for a chosen few that are willing to endure 66 books of the Bible. This is the ending, according to the Gospel of John, that is for everyone. For God so loved the world, not just the mountains and the seas and the skies, not just the birds of the air and the things that creep and crawl and walk upon the earth, or the things that swim in the sea. God loves every creature, every person, and offers them eternal life. That's the story that we have to figure out how to tell and share. And we do that through mercy, kindness, showing love, cultivating relationship, not just with those that we love and that we yearn to have seated with us in the kingdom to come, but especially with those that we might consider our enemies or that consider us theirs. By having conversation, entering into relationship, refusing to get angry and scream and type nasty things and walk away. Instead, we hear once more in the back of our minds, in the depths of our heart, and from the very core of our spirit, that what we are trying to communicate is unparalleled grace and love. And if we can embody that in our words and in our actions and our relationships, our very lives, then more and more people, like Philip Johnson and countless others who have turned to Christ, will discover that that ending is theirs. And on our darkest days, on the times when we feel completely assaulted by the ways of this world, the darkness in our minds and the fears of our hearts or the circumstances of our body and our very lives, may we cling to that truth that faith is not just a one-time experience but a relationship that culminates in the happiest ending of all time in all the universe. And that's the gift that Christ brings to you and to me and to those people that we love and those that according to the word of God, we should. May it be so.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.